Golden Circle proudly presents. You like spy movies, Mr. DeVille? Oh, when I was a kid, that was my dream job. Gentleman spy. Welcome to Now Playing's Kingsman Retrospective Series. We are the first independent intelligence agency. Refined but brutal. Part of our Marvel Movie Retrospective Series. This is going to be fun. Hosted by Jacob. Your reputation precedes you. Stuart. Huge IQ, great performance at the school. And Arnie. <laughs> oh, you know your shit. This podcast will contain detailed movie spoilers and harsh language. It's very American. <laughs> Fuck you. Listener discretion is advised. Symbol, the Kingsman. Today we're discussing The King's Man, starring Rafe Fiennes, Gemma Arterton, Reese Ifans, Matthew Good, Tom Hollander, Harris Dickinson, Daniel Bruhl, Damon Hansau, and Charles Dance, directed by Matthew Vaughn. This is Arnie, the King's podcaster. And Stuart. And this is Jacob, the co-host who's refined but brutal, civilized but merciless. Welcome back to, well... Wait, are we back at the Kingsman? Because I thought it was a whippersnapper take on Bond and modern violence. Yeah, what happened? How do we get this movie when we don't have a Kingsman 3? Well, they talked about when they did Kingsman The Golden Circle, the second film, that they wanted to branch this out. They were envisioning the end of a trilogy that would finish with Colin Firth and Eggsy, but... They wanted to go into different areas with it as well, and that the next film is going to be a spin-off film, a prequel initially titled Kingsman The Great Game, and it was going to take place during the early 1900s and be the start of the Kingsman. And it was supposed to film back-to-back with the third regular Kingsman film. Okay. But is the plan for a spinoff to be a totally different tone? Because I remember seeing the trailer for this when it first came out, I think pre-COVID, and I'm like, oh, it's a prequel? It's in the past? Okay, whatever. But where's the jokes? I thought this was a parody of Bond. It's supposed to be funny, and that trailer was not funny. You are hitting my review already. I mean, I think of the three of us, I've come to be the biggest Kingsman fan. I love that first film. I watch it pretty regularly. I was the highest on it on the show. Way high. I said high recommend. Back then, I said I have come to be. Not that I was back then. Uh, You're not higher than my high recommend. Maybe he is now. I love that first film. I loved it from the moment go. And I'm still going to say Sam Jackson makes that film. You're wrong about him. I come around to his performance on that. Although I do think it's a little over the top. Then you're wrong. But I watch that film very often. Matthew Vaughn or Edgar Wright. I'm always in a conversation with myself. Who is my favorite current working director? And it's one of those two. 
Well, Edgar Wright didn't make Stardust. I mean, it's Edgar Wright if those are the two choices, easily. Despite last night at Soho. I said that Stardust was a misstep early on for Matthew Vaughn. And see, I loved Last Night in Soho. But when you look at the Kingsman films, number two, not as strong as number one, but still, I love number two. I think it's a lot of fun. And X-Men First Class is one of my best films of all time. That is a great film, yeah. I mean, I just cannot get enough of that movie. And Kick-Ass. Kick-Ass is really good. Yeah, don't forget Kick-Ass. That deserves to be in there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Kick-Ass, and they're talking about rebooting it. It'll come back to Matthew Vaughn, and he'll be involved again. So anything Matthew Vaughn wants to do, I'm there for. But I do feel all of his movies have both a mixture of seriousness and lightheartedness that I think he's so adept at putting an equal measure in a film where you can have jokes and you can have heartbreak next to each other. And in this one, I'm watching this in theaters and I'm like, where's the lightheartedness of Matthew Vaughn that I've seen in both Kingsman films and in these other films I've referenced, even Stardust? Here, this seems like a dead serious film like he is trying to take Kingsman in a new direction which is very strange for a franchise to just decide to turn left and make a different style of film with the same name the only time I ever got a sense that oh maybe this will be funny like the other ones when I was watching the trailers and promotional stuff was Rasputin I'm like okay maybe they're just hiding that it's a comedy I don't know why you don't want to hide that because I don't know what new people are coming in for the Kingsman a, a third in a franchise like yeah give the fans what they want like but I'm like okay maybe Rasputin will be the jokes they did a serious trailer for some reason but the jokes will be there when I watch the film I had a bad feeling about it though because that Rasputin I wasn't laughing at it but I recognized it was supposed to be humor (laughs) remember the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen yep it was reminding me of like Rasputin from that style of movie and I'm just like wow this does not look good I agree the trailers did not excite me but I, what I appreciate, I think one of the reasons why you love Matthew Vaughn is he surprises you, right? Like there are just the turns that he takes in any storyline that you would not see coming and he ends up making it work. So I was willing to give him that. Okay, you want to go back to World War One? World War One's kind of having a moment. I personally never understood the conflict. No one understands World War One. There's something about an archduke who got yeah. shot and everybody got pissed and went to war. Someone got mad at that band, Franz Ferdinand or something. It doesn't have a Hitler, right? Like, we can look at World War Two and go, clear good guys, clear bad guys. This one just feels like everyone bickered and fought. And it was a squabble. It wasn't even a war. It was like this squabble. There were no heroes and villains. But, you know, superficially speaking, we've had two good movies about World War One. Wonder Woman, 1917. They don't tell you why the conflict happened. They don't dramatize. But, you know, as action films set in that time, cool. I'm okay-ish with the idea that they're going to go back to this war and do this prequel. Even though, personally, I'm still waiting for Eggsy, really, without Colin Firth. I would just like to see him become the king's man in that modern day and maybe not even have the round table with him and finish out the trilogy. I agree with that. And I was willing to go to World War One. They do treat this somewhat like a history lesson, which helps because I'm 
other than Archduke Ferdinand, I would be really hard-pressed to talk about World War One. I. I did not do that well in social studies as a kid. The fact that I remembered Archduke Ferdinand was shocking to me. I don't know if there was an evil Scottish guy behind it all. That might have been made up. Yes. I knew because Franz Ferdinand is a band. Like that's, yes. that's why it stayed in my mind. <laughs> But the other thing that didn't give me a good feeling about this. Now, this movie has had 10 release dates. Oh, wow. That many. I felt like I've been seeing this trailer forever. It does. If nothing else, I'm so glad to review this movie so I don't have to see the trailer again. This was originally going to come out in November 2019. So when you see the actors on the talk show circuit talking about this movie, they're probably like, um, yeah, I kind of remember working on that. And what made them push it? Because, oh boy, I'm sure they wish they had that release date back. Yeah, my guess is that this probably, like, there was concern back when this got greenlit. I think when you watch this movie, you see the Fox fanfare. Yeah, Fox don't exist anymore. Like, Disney <laughs> inherited this very un-Disney-like Bond franchise. And I think that there might have been some parent company attitudes about what might get involved here just guessing i think matthew vaughn might have a harder time making a matthew vaughn movie in that atmosphere i'm sure that some of the later release date shifts were because of that i mean this is the same problem that plagued the new mutants if you recall another fox film that had to be released by disney but still came out so much earlier than this film did and what I've read is Disney has a contractual obligation that anything Fox was making for theatrical release had to be released theatrically. They couldn't just shuttle it off to Hulu or Disney Plus or whatever. Mm -hmm. But while they may be living up to the letter of that contract, it felt to me like they were putting Kingsman out to fail. Let's look at when they released this thing. They released it. Finally, after 10 release dates, on December 22nd, 2021. Yeah, isn't this what you want to see with your family for Christmas? I mean, there are so many movies that are competing against it. First of all, of course, Spider-Man is dominating the box office. But then you've got The Matrix. You've got Sing 2, which is going to pull in your family crowd. Maybe. It did well. It beat this. <laughs> Yeah, I get your point. There's a lot of competition at Christmas. That's the season that everyone goes to the movie. And who's the demographic that wants to see a World War I movie that's also going to be scatological and be as irreverent as Kick-Ass and the first couple Kingsmen? That's a hard sell. Is this movie R? It is. Okay. And this movie, by far, had the lowest opening of a Kingsman film. Over the six-day holiday weekend, because it opened on Wednesday, it got $10 million. Over the three-day weekend that they normally count, $6 million. I mean, the only new release to not do as well was A Journal for Jordan. Mm. But, yes, I understand your point. This is sacrificial. By releasing it this way, it just gets it out of Disney's life. And they never have to think about Kingsman again? Here's what I would say. They didn't make Kingsman 3. They made something off to the side. This feels like Fantastic Beasts. This is not Harry Potter. So, yes, it's within the same universe. Yes, they're going to hopefully pull in fans from the previous. But they got to go their own trail. This is hitting a, a new path because it isn't Kingsman 3. And that leads me to this question. I know I like the Kingsman films. But and I know we've reviewed them, 
But these feel really unknown to me. I never hear people talk about these films. Is there a following for Kingsman that would see The King's Man and just know that this is the third in a franchise and be drawn into it? The comic books have never even gone back into the past like this. They just kept going forward with the same characters. Not that there's been a whole lot of them since that first miniseries, but yeah, they never covered World War I. You'd really want to have this come out quicker, like the movie in between two and three, like put it out real fast after Golden Circle and then have Kingsman ready again, part three, if it doesn't do well or not. You know, I think that would be the thought I would have is don't treat it like the same thing and put it out there and accept that it may have to find its audience later. It's not going to have the same impact I will say this, just anecdotally, I remember sitting in the theater packed for Dune, and when this trailer came on, there were guys behind me that said, oh, cool, another one. So people did recognize it. People who hadn't been to a theater in two years and didn't remember this trailer from 2019, this is their first indication that this movie's coming out? Apparently so. And I don't know if they actually did buy a ticket, but they were excited (laughs) at Dune. (laughs) They didn't buy a ticket to my theater. I did see this on Sunday afternoon in a dead, empty theater. Nobody was going to this theater. When I bought my ticket, which was only 20 minutes before the time it was going to start, I was literally the only seat sold, and then, like, eight more people wandered in. That's happened to me, too, and I was so mad because it was a reserved seating place, and I was like, oh, all to myself, all spread out, and then they, like, sat literally right next to me in an empty theater. I'm like, just get up and pick another seat. Yeah, I was already in. I wasn't going to move. You move. They didn't. I dislike people so much, I will inconvenience myself to move. (laughs) (laughs) Me, too. (laughs) But, yeah, I went Christmas Day at midnight. I thought nobody would see on this movie. Yeah, who? going to see this at midnight on christmas three other assholes and me <laughs> my, this asshole most people were at midnight mass Stuart was at the king's man yeah pretty much yeah i felt like i could have given my older daughter driving lessons in the parking lot of the drive-in when i saw this it was just so empty yeah i would expect that knowing the path that they chose This is not how you would make a commercial movie. Kingsman has never been about doing the easy thing. They make difficult choices, and sometimes you get won over by it. And my hope is that while this movie may bomb, it probably continues the tradition of a series I've really liked. Again, really a big fan of that first one. Second one, mm, I was much colder on it, but recommend. I have to ask you then, Stuart, what did you like about those ones so much? Because I don't think whatever you like about those will be in this. Well, yes, that is interesting in coming into that. Specifically, the villains, as Sam Jackson says in the first movie, always make the spy movie because the spy tends to be the straight man. The one that gets to have the jokes and get all the attention is the villain. How great is their plot? How real do I connect to what they're doing? And how, like, badass are some of their gadgets and moves and all of that. Gazelle and Sam Jackson. That's what I really hold on to. The whole idea about saving the planet by killing the population was just a really darkly intelligent thought 
Independent of all the Bond spoofs, it was just a really interesting environmental message. Then you must love this one because this villain's plan came true in real life. Can I add to that, though, some of the things I like about the Kingsman film is Matthew Vaughn's style. He'll go a little wacky with the camera. He'll do some crazy visuals going through keyholes and things. And then also the soundtracks. He'll bring in pop soundtracks. The opening of that first one to Money for Nothing while the bass is getting bombed and the rocks are falling everywhere. And his country western version of Word Up in that second one. Plus Saturday Night's Alright for Fighting. Just his overall style, both audio and visual, is what makes me love Matthew Vaughn and love those films. Yeah, I will say the one thing that gave me hope in that trailer for the film we're going to discuss is the style. There's a scene where, I don't know if it's some Germans or something in trench warfare, and he's doing like that slow down, speed up, almost bullet time thing. I'm like, okay, at least stylish. Like, I don't care about going into the past. This doesn't look funny, but it's got that style. So maybe just good action is going to win me over. I assume he wants to stretch. I've known for doing punkish, irreverent, youthful pictures. Maybe this is Oscar bait. Maybe this is a more serious. Certainly the trailers tell you, even the ones with Rasputin dancing tell you this won't be as bloodthirsty as the previous movies. I I treat it as Matthew Vaughn wants to grow and change, and I hope I can go with him. Let's find out. Ernie, give him the plot. Rafe Fiennes is Duke Orlando of Oxford, a high-ranking member of the Red Cross. In 1902, he was investigating a British concentration camp during the South African War, accompanied by his wife Emily. Emily is killed in an enemy attack, and this leads Orlando to start an underground spy organization consisting of housekeepers, butlers, and other servants around the globe with the goal of protecting the British Empire. Fast forward 12 years and World War I is about to begin. Germany, Britain, and Russia, all ruled by three cousins, go to war after the murder of the Archduke Ferdinand. But what the history books don't tell us is this war was orchestrated by a shadow organization of undercover operatives. One of those operatives was the Russian mystic Rasputin, played by Rhys Ifans. Rasputin is the close counsel of the Russian Tsar Nicholas. Anxious to join the war is Duke Orlando's son Conrad, but Orlando opposes that and even gets the British war secretary to block Conrad from enlisting. Yet Conrad and Orlando are adjacent to the war, present in Bosnia when the Archduke Franz Ferdinand is assassinated. The assassin is a member of the Shadow Group orchestrating the war, and Orlando and his spy group begin to investigate Rasputin. The Russian is convincing Tsar Nicholas to withdraw from the war, leaving Germany to decimate Britain. To prevent this, Orlando meets Rasputin at a Christmas party, and Orlando and his group kill the Russian. During this, Conrad comes of age, and against his father's wishes, he enters the war. He heroically retrieves a spy message that reveals Germany is trying to ally with Mexico, asking Mexico to attack the United States so the U.S. won't aid England in the war. But Conrad is killed by friendly fire. Still, the message is important and is sent to the United States. President Wilson initially doesn't want to believe the plot, but later with the evidence he does believe, but still won't enter the war as the evil shadow group are blackmailing him with film of the president cheating on his wife. Orlando realizes the woman who seduced the president was Matahari. Orlando hunts the woman down, and at the American embassy, he gets her scarf. 
The scarf was made from a wool found only in one area of Scotland, so that must be the secret base of the Shadow Organization. Or some rewriting happened, right? Something got cut. (laughs) They should have cut that. So Orlando goes with a couple of his organization spies and infiltrates the base. The Shadow Group's leader is revealed to be Captain Morton, an assistant to British War Secretary Herbert Kitchener. Orlando kills Morton while his spies get the film used to blackmail the president. They send the film to President Wilson, who burns it and is thus able to enter the war and assist Britain in victory. Then we see Orlando purchased the Kingsman Tailor Shop in London. It will be used as a secret front for Orlando's newly created Kingsman spy organization. Each agent gets a codename from King Arthur's Knights of the Round Table, with Orlando as Arthur as credits roll. Now, you know, if people, like, make a joke about COVID or George Floyd, how someone's going to be like, too soon, like, can't do it. If you're making jokes about the Boer War of 1902... <laughs> People don't know what you're talking about. Is too late a thing? Can you yeah. be like, too late, can't, not, doesn't work anymore, does not play. Yeah, I've never heard of the Boer War. English with the, versus the Dutch. I had to look it up in Wikipedia after this movie. I have saw other movies that are about it. That's that's my education is other movies. Breaker Morant, if that makes you feel better, is, is why I know this is how we got apartheid in South Africa, basically. Yep. We see people in concentration camps and this humanitarian effort is rolling in here. Ray Fiennes is trying to walk the line between being someone that is going to support the British and the expansion of the empire, but at the same time atone for his role in conquering Africa. And this scene is here to show that Orlando is a pacifist. He is not really going to aid the war. He's here to aid the wounded, no matter which side they're on. He's with the Red Cross. Why he brings his wife with him to South Africa is a question. And child. Yeah, I maybe not a great one, but they are like they're traveling in, in privilege and style. They have a driver, they're in a car. Like I'm sure there are snacks and refreshments and probably any of these people that are with them in the caravan will run over and fan them should they need to be but yes, I think the line gets said by the wife, if you have privilege, it's your duty to assist and aid. They're, they're do-gooders. They're humanitarians. They're trying to teach their son that he should want to go out into the world and correct what's wrong about it. Why it's interesting is we will find out later in a different flashback that Ray Fine's character Orlando participated in some of this stuff. He actually got the Victoria Cross for killing people. We'll see him like all dressed up in red. And I don't know. It's a brief scene. I'm not sure. He's got a sword and he's slashing Africans. So I believe that some of this is atonement. I want to shake off whatever it is I did. Yes, this feels very much like someone from the British Empire that wants to apologize for colonialism. This entire film. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not funny. I just want to put it out there. And maybe... Maybe that's supposed to be. It's a weird shift because I keep waiting for the money for nothing, as you say. The where's the rock song going to kick in? Where's the crazy fight? We have this sniper that's up there that's going to get shots off. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Oh, wait, no, she's just dead. <laughs> no, it's a serious moment. Yeah, the <laughs> wife dies. Yeah, it's hard for me to call this a Kingsman film. Honestly, if they hadn't had the insignia and the title at the beginning of this, if they just started this movie, it would never occur to me. I wonder when I would ever connect it to the other two movies. Maybe the end. 
Did either of you go back and rewatch the other two or maybe the first one in preparation for this? Because I figured, oh, this is a prequel, so that stuff doesn't matter. So I just went in. But I thought my memory was, if you asked me, what is the origin of the Kingsmen, the Secret Service? It went back to King Arthur. We're going to see King Arthur quoted here when Shola is talking to the sun. And But no, this is the original Kingsmen. Like, this is how it started. That was blowing me away because I just thought we were into an old-timey Kingsmen story. Like, we're just going to go to World War One for some reason. But this organization organization had always been around, right? That's what I thought, at least. I did watch both movies in preparation. I wanted to have that fresh in my mind. It had been a while. It's been four years since the last one. What do they say about the origins, then? No, you're right to think that... I don't know that we're to think that it goes all the way back to King Arthur, but clearly that is where the the idea of it, the, the spirit of it... And we'll find out that it's a child's idea here. The child is naming himself Lancelot. That's what he wants to grow up and be, and he's calling the driver Shola Merlin. Like, he's already decided who Merlin's going to be. I mean, Shola will be Merlin at the end of this movie, but it doesn't go all the way back to the round table. It goes back to a child pretending he's at the round table. I never thought the Kingsman went back that far. And when they talk about it in the earlier movies, they do reference things about King Arthur and the Round Table, but I never got the impression that these were direct descendants of it. The thing that gets me is I thought we would see the Kingsman organization created in this movie, and we kind of do. We do, don't we? You asked when would you notice it's a Kingsman movie. They're not going to really embrace the Kingsman and form the organization until literally the last scene. So it would keep me guessing if I didn't know what I was in for. Yeah, like they'll go into that tailor shop. I'm like, okay, they're going to get their secret suits and weapons and all that. No, I'm like, yes. so it was confusing to me because I thought the Kingsmen were already established by this point. It is the death of the wife and the promise she makes Orlando give that he's going to somehow continue to protect his son and in war. Like that feels like a balance that he'll be trying for the rest of this movie to honor is how do I do that? How do I make sure that we end war and I make sure that my son doesn't ever experience that? Um, we, I, I, if she had not died and he had not gotten shot in the leg, they probably would have continued to just be part of the Red Cross. Because she dies, he, at this point going forward, I believe, even though we just jumped 12 years later, I think for that 12 years, he's working with maids, butlers, servants to gather intel. Yeah, when we jump 12 years, we see Orlando teaching his son Conrad how to fly. So yeah, here's this new technology. It seems like Orlando's someone that's up on everything. Yeah, it's only a decade beyond the Wright brothers. So like this, even though we feel like, oh, this is so retro, like this is high tech. Yeah, I was thinking about the Wright brothers and how quickly the airplane got adopted for war and everything. But while he's created this spy organization of servants and housekeepers and things like that. I mean, that's not Kingsman. The Kingsmen are secret agents. They're James Bond. He's created something that will eventually become Kingsman, but it's just really right now an intelligence gathering operation. More, I'll put a finer point on this. In that first movie, Michael Caine is a snob. When he looks at Eggsy, he's like, this is not our material. We don't look at servants and lower class as Kingsman material. And most of the people that apply are Yale and Oxford. 
Yeah, we see all those tryouts. They're all, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I agree. My impression of this organization was it was stodgy white guys all along. That we have a black driver and a woman made, and they're going to be at the heart of the King's Men. Surprise. And the only thing that I really got as a callback to the Kingsman movie is early on when Orlando is talking to Conrad and he's like, we're Oxfords, not rogues. Mm -hmm. Well, there was a line in the first one discussing shoes, Oxford, not brogues. Yeah. So this is where that's coming out of. Like that joke that about shoes came out of the fact that they are Oxford men. It's a serious moment. Again, so like so many of these He's talking about our ancestors were savages. They didn't have the luxury of being gentlemen. We are now. We're, we're not the rogues that we came from. We can now become Oxford men. And he is the Duke of Oxford. That's why the, everyone's always like, your highness or, you know, your grace. They're always treating him like royalty. So, again, yes, I think it's kind of funny that he's got this son that, like, they're talking about Icarus just after this flight, and the son interprets it entirely differently to Ray Fiennes, and I think most people, the story of Icarus is someone that, like, was too prideful and flew too close to the son, but to the child that feels overprotected, no, he just needed to escape the prison of his parent, and that's the main conflict of this movie, if we are to understand the theme World War One is a family fight about what's the best way to honor yourself and duty of country. I wish I liked Conrad. I will just go ahead and put it out there now. My biggest struggle, and it gets solved by this movie, <laughs> he, he will not be in a sequel should they have one. But Harris Dickinson is an actor I don't know, haven't seen before, brings in no goodwill. And I should like a character that doesn't want to be controlled by his parent. But I never, ever, ever connect to him. I got that bias. I'm never going to watch Downtown Abbey or any of those those British dramas. Like, that's not my thing. I could care less about the monarchy. So, yeah, you really got to have some good characters to win me over with all this kind of proper English stuff. That's why Secret Service, better film. Like, Eggsy, he, he's lower class. Like, I could understand that. This upper crust stuff I don't care about. And, yeah, Conrad, he's a nothing to me. He never, like, he just wants to go and fight to war. Okay, like, let him. I'm glad they finally, he gets off there and, and gets his comeuppance. When we're introduced to him early on here after the flight, we see him practicing a knife fight with their driver. With paintbrushes, but yeah, it's fake knives. Mm -hmm. But I thought here, from the events of 1902, the Kingsmen were made. And I thought he was already Lancelot, and this was Kingsman training. Yeah, so did I. Oh, interesting. No, this is just apparently knife training done for fun. But I kind of still liked the character at this point. I gave him the benefit of the doubt early on. But the more he's in the movie, the less I like him because he's exceedingly one note. Yeah, I, I think it, the idea of training is coming from him. He's bored. He's trapped. He wants to have a solo flight. His dad insists on flying the plane. He wants to go out and fight a war. The best they can do is say, get bare chested and you can wrestle with paintbrushes with our driver. Like, you get the idea that every young man wants to have their own adventure at some point, and he is being denied, in part because that promise that Orlando made to his dying wife of not letting his son experience it. But he can have a Kingsman suit. I guess this is when you would know. Like, we cut to Savile Row, we see the tailor shop, it looks exactly the same, even though we're a hundred years earlier, and he's wearing an outfit that Eggsy would have worn. 
But it's not like bulletproof. That's what's confusing me because look, I don't realize that this is a origin story until 40 minutes in when they tell us, oh, this is the Kingsman getting together for the first time. Yeah, I thought for sure, even though I knew this was an origin story, I thought when they were there and they're like, fitting room one is available. I remember from the first movie that which fitting room you go in really mattered. I thought already there would be a secret organization connected to the store somewhere. Yeah, he's going to get initiated into it or something. Yes. Even if he can't go to the war, he could at least be one of the spies. But no, none of this exists yet. I agree. You think that this is the day that his dad finally tells him, hey, I know you think I'm holding you back, but you're one of us and this is what we do. But this shop is not even connected to that. I think it becomes the Kingsman organization because it's just mentioned they have a quiet room upstairs where all the patterns are on spools. And so when he runs into the man that was there at the Boer War, my dear brother Noomsie, Charles Dance, is playing Colonel Kitchener unrecognizable he has gotten a lot older and he's got that mustache and i did not recognize him when i saw the credits i was floored oh i can always spot charles dance again i i love golden child that much <laughs> but again I, it's just like they need to talk about what's going on in in serbia and hungary <laughs> rolling off the tongue as i'm struggling to remember the conflicts but they need to talk about what's about to be World War One, and this is just a quiet space to do so. It's the last place anyone would find out. But I knew, I'm just going to go ahead and say, there's always a lot about Matthew Vaughn I can't predict. But because he has this assistant that has no function and is just sit there left to talk to Conrad, when it's mentioned later that there's a mole in the British organization, I point at Morton and say, oh, that's the bad guy. I knew it. I just knew it right here in this moment. And he made no impression on me when his reveal comes at the end. I'm like, oh, okay, it was that background character. That didn't do anything. Yeah. Otherwise, why would you include this character? I had forgotten about him by the time they said there was a mole. I'm. Uh, yeah. I, well, I was thinking about who could be the mole. And he's the only one that had no function. Functionally, you're right. Looking at screenwriting structure, there's no other reason to include him other than he's the mole, and yet there's nothing in the film. If you're looking at just the things he says and the things he does, there's nothing to indicate he's a mole. Yeah, if someone's going to be a mole and be the big baddie at the end, like, you want someone that has a part in the film, that would have made me more interested. But because this is a background character that does nothing, like, I totally forgot about him till the end, and it didn't matter by then. Well, here's what you would do. Here's what I thought they were going to do. All right, well, we remember Eggsy had that fight with that upper crust guy that came back with the middle arm. You just have this guy spit on him. One is a soldier. One is a wannabe soldier. So you make that the class conflict. Oh, yeah, well, you're nothing. And I've got all these medals on my chest. And you create a rivalry so that it means more when we find out he's the villain. I think they could have done that. I think it would have been an easy fix. Instead, you're right. He's a background character. I knew he was the mole. I don't think I realized he was the shepherd. This is about the point in the movie where we cut to this impossible cliff face where what looks like a rustic barn is actually the hideout of a secret organization of disruptors who are going to cause World War I to happen so that England can go down. This feels like Dr. Evil, right? With his, his round table, like with Rasputin walking in there. I feel like this should be funny because Reese Fawns, like he's playing a different character than anyone else in this film. You know, you say Dr. Evil, 
But I'm thinking James Bond. I'm thinking, okay, this is our Spectre. But this is Kingsman, so it's supposed to be a parody. It's supposed to be funny. That's why I go with Austin Powers. And I think because it's Kingsman, like this lays the groundwork for what the organization of Kingsman, the villains actually teach the heroes how it should look. They got rings. We need to do this. I think they're going to co-op this whole look of the shepherd and what he's got going on here by the end. But this group, they have no name, right? First of all, it became very hard just to even reference this group in a plot summary because they're no Smirsh. They're no Spectre. They're no Sith. They're just... They are group of bad guys, according to my notes. Again, they're the shepherd and his flock. That's the way that I looked at it. They all have rings. The main villain is always shot from behind or in shadow, our feeding goats and what have you. He wears a ring that has a shepherd's crook on it, and he talks in a thick accent, and eventually we realize, you know, because again, who's the bad guy of World War I? I don't know. The point is, he is Scottish. This is his best way of bringing down the British Empire. Which still hasn't come down. It's just worth pointing out, like, even today, Scotland is ruled by England. But yes, I agree with you, Jacob. When Rasputin comes in, I'm expecting him to almost take over this group. Like, he does not show the shepherd the respect the others do. And Rasputin, he's a Russian magician. I expected him to be the main bad guy and just kill everyone here. Yeah, I did too. The trailers were selling me Rasputin was our bad guy. And he's so much more flamboyant. And again, not only didn't I recognize Charles Dance, but Reese Ifans here, who I primarily know from Amazing Spider-Man, unrecognizable underneath that beard and that wig. I Just giving a huge performance, really a well-done performance. I like him in this movie, but it is over the top. Yeah, much better than Kurt Connors, the lizard. Well, here's the thing. Rasputin is probably somebody you know. I Like, I study Russian history. That's one area of the turn of the 20th century where I feel like I do kind of know what was going on and his role with the czar and what have you. That's dripped into popular culture. Like, who shot Franz Ferdinand? I didn't know his name was Precep. Matahari? I didn't know she was connected to World War One. I've heard of her as a temptress, but my history is so bad that if you put together the supergroup that brought down, you know, the European alliances in the 1910s, I wouldn't have been able to name these people. Who's the German? We know Daniel Bruhl. He was in the Inglorious Bastards. He pops up. I think he's in the Civil War. But uh, I don't even know. He's playing Eric John Hanussen. Is that somebody that... Did something undermining in Germany at that time? I don't know. Yeah, Arnie referenced League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and this feels like the League of really, really obscure literary references that I am not going to get. Not literary, historical. I mean... I I know, but in comparison, like, if you took a lot of obscure literary characters, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen would really mean nothing to me. And and that's how I'm feeling here. But it's kind of cool. And according to Wikipedia, Eric Janhausen, who is the character played by Daniel Bruhl, was an Austrian Jewish publicist, charlatan, and clairvoyant performer. He is said to have instructed Adolf Hitler in performance and achievement of dramatic effect. Ah, so you would see the end stinger early if you caught his name. But here they're all wearing animal rings. So like one, like the joke is Rasputin didn't get to be the Russian bear. These are the jokes. Like, oh, okay. Are they? That was the humor. I want to be the bear. I'm the tortoise. Were people laughing in your theater? The other three people? Yeah, no, they were eating. (laughs) 
there was no laughter in mine either, but all I'm thinking about is this is a really poor version of, I don't want to be Mr. Pink, that's Mr. Pussy. Let me trade with Mr. Brown. Is it a poor version of that, or are they going for something different? That's what I can't quite... I'm trying to find the vibe of this movie, and I can recognize by this point, it is not Kingsman. This is really not the original comedic vibe. So we are to be laughing less... But it's still campy and over the top. This still feels like a Bond villain layer. So how much credence do I give this? It's not Oscar bait and it's not a farce. Yeah, here's the thing, Stuart. You're right. Like, I'm kind of lukewarm on that first Kingsman film. Like, the second one I didn't really like. But I know what makes those films them. And I'm not getting that here. So I'm not getting any action, like that style. And what I'm getting instead, I, I... is this a, a good substitute, like a dry history lesson and a, a kind of a funny Rasputin? Like, that's fine. Like, the Kingsman doesn't mean that much to me. You could change up the formula, but this is not how you change it up. This is not working at all. I'm with Jacob, but I'm in the first half hour of this movie. I'm like, okay, it's an origin story. It's going to find its groove once the origin hits. and Maybe it's the Kingsman group itself that will bring that fun and that over-the-top humor, but no, it never comes, and that blue balls me. I appreciate, I'll just go out and say, I actually appreciate the fact that they're risking teaching this much history. Now, let's use the word teaching because I don't know it. Maybe many people in the audience, again, no one is in the audience, but maybe the primary target of the audience, if this were to play in Europe, I assume that they know that history better. But for an American, this doesn't get taught a lot. These conflicts are hard to follow. I kind of like the way they break this down. I like the way that we go from Franz Ferdinand's assassination to seeing that there were three cousins that were ruling these important different countries. Like, I didn't know that. England, Germany, and Russia is a family fight. Yeah, that is kind of my memory when I learned about World War One. Why did it start? Because some family members made each other mad and they just started moving troops and then it just went too far. Like, if that is my understanding of World War One, and yeah, that's kind of how it plays out here. But I appreciate it. It's dramatized in a way I can get it. I did appreciate that here we see a little bit of Matthew Vaughn's visual flair when you see the little kids having a fight and then they like morph into the, in my mind, comedic adult versions. I mean, they all look pretty incompetent. They're just bumping each other. They all look like Paul Giamatti to me. Every time I saw him, I'm like, is that Paul Giamatti? <laughs> like, look like him with a big beard on. And they all have those curved, waxed mustaches. It is all the same actor. Oh, it is the same actor? Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's all the same actor playing all three parts. Okay, that's why I kept thinking it was Paul Giamatti. <laughs> mm-hmm. They'd see that they're all connected and all related. But that had a little bit of humor to it, and it I did appreciate, you know, World War One for dummies. I Again, I, I, that is not a... Like, I really did like that. That made this movie interesting. No, I'm being dead serious, because if they expected me to know this coming in, I'd be lost. And that they're going to weave in their own name, because what they're going to say is... When Freddy, or Franz, first gets attacked, he's saved by the Kingsmen. That because Orlando has finally taken his son out of the castle and said, okay, I'll take you on this bird hunting trip with my good friend Freddy, they're riding in the car, and Conrad is looking at the pretty girl that's getting pushed aside by Princip, who is the bear, who's the guy that built the explosive that was supposed to kill Franz Ferdinand, and... 
Is it a joke that they blow up the car behind them? No, no, no. Here's the catch. This is historically accurate. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Didn't know. They tried to blow up Franz Ferdinand first, and it ended up missing and hitting the car behind them. And so they ended up shooting Ferdinand later. Oh, I thought this was a bit. I assumed this was just a bit, but okay. Yeah, so did I, because I knew he was shot, so I'm like, he wasn't right. blown up, so this was a joke to me, but it also led me to think that Orlando was already a Kingsman. Like, yes. he just steps up and swings that cane and knocks that bomb out of the way. He should be a Kingsman, but his dad won't let him. That's what's going on there. But okay, interesting, because I'm like, any other Kingsman movie would have built up the car behind them as annoying or like made some kind of joke out of the fact that now there's just a car full of people that are dead. And this movie kind of just ignores that that happened. Again, that was a moment I really felt like, ooh, weird. I'm really not in the same universe. Yeah, I just couldn't believe when I looked it up that Franz Ferdinand, they tried to bomb him first and missed, and that they were incorporating that level of detail here. That blew my mind. But it's not made as a tragedy. It's not a joke. I guess what I'm saying is they don't either make a punchline out of it or play it as a serious moment. It's just sort of this tossed-off moment in which Orlando says, oh, I shouldn't have brought my son. Did they also get lost in an alleyway? Because, again, I feel like... Is this supposed to be humorous as the assassin's about to take that cyanide pill and then he sees Ferdinand roll into an alley and they get stuck and they have to turn around and there's his chance to shoot him? I'm like, I don't know if this is supposed to be funny. I'm not laughing. It's not funny, but it's such a weird tone to me. Here's the tone I'm getting. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Mel Brooks History of the World Part 1. Need long time ago. Yeah, or, you know, even Blazing Saddles. Like, Mel Brooks is a comedian that doesn't have any problem looking back at ancient history and finding the punchline. I guess he had made it work in his time, but it does feel strange. Like, again, too late. You think there's punchlines here, though, is what you're saying. Yeah, the, the fact that they go down the alley and he's about to take a cyanide pill and then he's like, I mean, there's... But it's not funny. That's my issue. It's like, I, I don't know. I, it feels like a Mel Brooks joke. It feels like it is kind of funny that opportunity presented itself. Ironic, at least, that he could now get the shot off. It takes skill. Mel Brooks would play it broader and have better comedic timing to it. But yes, here, it's the closest thing you'll have in this movie to humor is that guy looking distraught that he has to take the cyanide capsule and then his look of relief when he discovers that he actually has a chance to redeem himself. But there's nothing in the shadow organization, there's nothing the Shepherd has done to make me feel he's Darth Vader. And if this guy doesn't take his cyanide capsule, he's in for even more hurt. Well, he he hacked off the horn of his favorite goat. That's what I said. There's nothing he's done. Ah, <laughs> uh, that counts. You get it. If someone loves something... My girls were upset that he would harm a goat. Yeah, it's a cute goat, and he's the shepherd. That means he should be taking care of them. And the fact that he's, again, he makes the point that Rasputin and his favorite goat can both, like, butt heads with him... He's trying to lay it down. You know, the, he's the shepherd. I, you are the animals. You're under my control. I kind of like their thing. I like the bad guys in this. I got no complaint on the organization. It works. It makes sense. I think it's the good guys I'm struggling with more. I'm struggling really hard with those bad guys because they're so ill-defined. Yeah, how much are you liking them? Are, are they 
Samuel Jackson good? Are they Julian Moore good? Neither. Not as good as either. But again, because they're playing with the mystery of it, even though I have a pretty good idea that Morton's involved, I'm still thinking that it's going to be some big celebrity is going to play the shepherd and waiting for that to happen. That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> I thought, you know who I thought it was just by the voice of Robert Carlyle from the full Monty and 28 weeks later, like the little guy. He sounded a lot like him. I just was thinking it was him. I thought it was Risa Fons because I didn't recognize him as Rasputin and I knew he was in this movie somewhere. <laughs> Well, I don't consider him a big star, but like he was the annoying thing in Notting Hill, right? Like that's his claim to fame. And the lizard. And the lizard. Okay. Yeah. I hate that too. <laughs> but anyway, we here's where they kind of trip up. Morton is supposed to be the shepherd, right? We're told that's what he is. And yet he is on the boat when they do this big Matthew Vaughn style like tracking shot. We see that Kitchener is on the way to Russia to investigate shenanigans and his assistant is seasick, and he walks out of the cabinet, and we we shoot far ahead into the ocean to a submarine far away, and we know the guy with the shepherd ring is at the telescope when they fire the missile. How can he be in the boat and on that sub at the same time? Yeah. I think they cheated in trying to have this surprise. I think they cheated. But the point is, it sinks Kitchener, and it gets Orlando thinking that it's really time to mobilize. And this will be the thing that gets him to tell his son, hey, I have a spy network of servants and intelligence gatherers. But they're not Kingsmen. Right. And in fact, the Kingsmen will swear off working class uh, sometime by the (laughs) millennium. Well, maybe they'll find just not to be one of the agents. They can't be one of the knights, but they could still be support staff. I don't know. Like, Polly is the Molly Sue in this. She's going to be able to do everything. Like, you think you'd let them in. Okay. All right. So now we're getting into problems. I've heard you guys saying problems from the get-go. I'm kind of enjoying the bad guys. I'm kind of enjoying the riff on the conflicts of World War One, and thinking that there's a shadow group that's always trying to get Russia, like, to not be involved in America, not to be involved and let Germany destroy England. That's amusing to me. But Polly and Shola and the idea that uh, there's maids running around with cameras in their tea kettles. Yeah, they get spies into the White House that are just maids looking through the keyhole. I would like that if I liked these characters. And I, the Polly thing, help me out with this, where I think it's a love story. Orlando is supposed to be in love with her, but because he's betrothed to his dead wife, there's the doing the English thing. It's like the English patient. Yeah, it's the money penny. Like, they can't get together even though they're in love. That that was my reading because he still loves his dead wife. Yeah, that's what I took it as. I felt like maybe they were leaving something for the sequel for them to consummate that relationship. The problem is both of these assistants are really ill-defined functional characters. I don't feel like they're characters at all. Right, but that see, that's the opportunity. Okay, you wrote me nothing, so I'm going to come up with all this stuff and knock people out, and I, like, yeah, this Gemma Arterton is not doing it for me as Polly. I don't buy the sexual chemistry. I don't see that she does anything other than she's a crack shot. What are you talking about? She does everything. She's a crack shot. Oh, here, solve this code that no one else can solve. She's able to do it. Why not? 
Okay, I guess I'm ignoring her is what I'm saying. I'm not finding that I want to watch her. And Shola is the ghost of colonialism in Africa. Like, that is a subtext of everything is that, like, you're my manservant because England invaded South Africa. Like, that should mean something. He should have a moment to talk about how he can continue to work for Orlando. But Stuart, they also call him Merlin. There's literally a magic black man in this film. Yeah. They can't escape those tropes. This is the problem with the movie. It's not the villains, who I agree are not as good as villains we've seen before. It's, if this is the organization, I don't want it to succeed. Well, they're... There are all problems with this movie, is what I'll say. I'm not going to say that the villains aren't a problem, but I will agree that another problem is we spend our time almost exclusively on Orlando and Rasputin in this movie. And Conrad doesn't get much time, but he's perhaps second tier. And these other characters who turn out to be theoretically important by the end of the movie... They're not even as well-defined as Eggsy's classmates were in that first movie when it's the tryouts to see who's going to become a Kingsman. Hmm. I feel like so much of this first half is Orlando and Conrad. Like, Orlando, don't go to war. That's bad. And Conrad, I want to fight for country. That's good. And, like, back and forth. Okay, Orlando, don't go to war, but come come with us on the super secret spy mission to suss out Rasputin. Like, th- that seems pretty dangerous, too. Like, it, so much of this is like, oh, I don't want you to go out and die in war, but you're also a spy. Like, you're still putting yourself in danger. We're going to see that soon. Like, Orlando's almost going to die. The way I take that, I agree. That's an interesting moment that this dad who has been so far squashing any attempt for this kid to get involved in anything that might even look like it might require a Band-Aid. And now he's going to put him in this jeopardy. And not only that, but, like, Rasputin is gay, and I'm going to have you pretend to be, like, one of his boys and, like, seduce him with a poison tart and all of that. That's really risky. But what gets said, and it is kind of a cool speech, even though the moment isn't sincere, is that uh, Orlando talks about, like, what reputation is as opposed to character. Like, you know me by reputation as a coward or a pacifist. But I just want you to understand something about me. How I see myself is different. I am actually fighting a war this whole time, but it's underground. And the reason, I guess, to have a network of spies who don't answer to country is World War I. Because all those countries prove that you can't trust them. Because they are aligning for absurd nationalistic reasons. You would want an organization that didn't go along blindly with that. Well, except... According to this film, there was a secret organization of spies who were not associated with any government that manipulated all this stuff to happen. Like, so how are you supposed to trust a unconnected organization is what I'm saying. Like, I've had my own questions about how much you can trust Kingsmen as an organization if it were real anyway. Yes, I agree with that. But here, yeah, it is completely undermined in that you have two shadow organizations fighting each other and all these countries are just pawns. I like the idea of it, but I feel like the villains are much further along than the road than we are it. And I just want to point out, this is like 45 minutes into the movie where we're finally like time to kill Rasputin, which you're right, is what every trailer told us was the movie. 
And, you know, I like Russian history. This is an interesting time. This is the time, and I've never connected it before, but the Russian Revolution was happening in parallel with World War I. And the idea that the shepherd is manipulating that as a way to, like, well, if the czar is, can't be controlled anymore by Rasputin, we're going to just bring in Lenin. I really like all of this conceptually. I think this is cool. Again, as League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but with history, this could be fun, conceptually, like you said. But there are some of the mechanics, maybe I, I just don't understand World War One enough, but we see this scene with Rasputin where he brings the Tsar's son back to life because they now Russia needs to pull out of the war because that's going to help Germany get England somehow. Like, there's little things like that throughout that I just went over my head. I agree. I had to think, I had to sit in my car and think about it after I came out of the movie theater. <laughs> but th if you look at it as strict the idea that the shepherd wants to get England for dominating Scotland, his best bet is to have Germany against the UK. That's what he's hoping for. Keep the other ones out of it. Keep them divided. He has Rasputin to pretend that he's this magic healer and having the czar like focused on his quote unquote sickly child that's just really eating poison sweets all of the time. That will just help Germany in its aims of taking out England. That's the way I take it. Yeah, that's how I took it as well. And yes, partially historically accurate there in that. I don't think there was a shepherd. I don't know. I said partially <laughs> historically accurate. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure Rasputin, while he might have danced, didn't kill people by uh, the dance of death. But hey, it's good to see that Matthew Vaughn was on set for one day. This feels mm. like a Matthew Vaughn scene. It does feel like the first one. Yes. The first time I feel like this is finally from the same universe. 45 minutes, almost an hour into the film. Yeah. And Rasputin literally did take poison to prevent himself from being poisoned. Oh, I knew that. Yeah. We'll see him taking poison at the table. Yeah. Just dripping it into his mouth. There's even been horror movies about Rasputin. Like, I mean, again, he had such a like myth around him being like spiritual powers. I think it's a funny joke that he actually does seem to cure Orlando's like wounded leg. When he got shot at the beginning of this movie, he was walking with a cane the whole time. And now... <laughs> yeah, when he got down there and sucked something out of his leg. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's meant to be funny and I wasn't laughing, but it, it does work. Like there's something to his... Uh, it sounds like throat singing and, and leg licking <laughs> that had some positive effect. Was it also getting... Orlando turned on it seemed that way like Orlando was feeling so good in his leg that he might be DTF Ah, <laughs> uh, I didn't I didn't read it that way but maybe I yeah I, th I thought Rasputin would be into it because they told us he was oh, into yeah. other dudes yeah but I thought maybe Orlando was just enjoying being healed like it felt that good to not have that wound anymore it's hard to read because they're not playing this with the same kind of scatological mindset of those first two movies, it's really hard to know whether we should think those kind of quote-unquote dirty thoughts about the characters or whether that's just a happy accident that, I don't know. I, I wish I I wish I did have a, a stronger sense of the direction Matthew Vaughn was taking this, but these are confusing moments, but they do feel like Matthew Vaughn moments, at least. And coming into this, I thought Rasputin was our bad guy because that was what all the trailers sold. That was the marketing, yeah. I now know there's this shadow organization, and in my mind, I'm like, okay, so they've created their specter, and it's going to be like Kingsman 
seven or something, if you count this as three, before we're finally going to see the root of the Shadow Organization. Maybe we're not seeing who's ruling the Shadow Organization, because they don't even have an actor hired yet who's going to be that Donald Pleasance character. And so that's what I'm thinking, is this whole movie is versus Rasputin, and the Shepherd will come back in future films. And so imagine my shock when an hour into the movie they kill Rasputin. Yeah, no, I was expecting that. I was expecting him to go down, and I figured it was going to take some doing, because I think they tried to kill him 17 times. That's one part of the lore. Yeah, I thought this was going to be a fake-out, too, that he's going to show up at the end, like he'd be one of the last bosses to fight. I wouldn't even put it past them to have him, if they were to make a sequel to this, and I think they're thinking about it. Did they see the box office? I don't think they're thinking of it. Yeah, I mean, they were thinking about it before this movie opened. At one point. When they did that post-credit trailer, yeah. When The fact that we have people that are not in the Kingsman franchise, that like, like Stanley Tucci at the end of this movie, probably didn't sign up to do a cameo, probably thought that maybe I could be doing a movie in World War II next time. I would expect this popular Rasputin character to come back in that. They love him that much in this movie. They made memes and stuff. Like, if you go on YouTube, like, they're like, here's Rasputin's dance, and they really tried to make this the selling point of the movie. I don't know. I'm not on TikTok. I can't say if it worked. (laughs) Did Rasputin's dance trend on TikTok? Someone tell us. It did not for me. It never came up in the For You page for me. I just know that they really did push this character. And you're right. The reason why you think this, Arnie, is because they made Rasputin so important to the promotion of this movie. And now that he's out of it, that could be a nice, delightful Matthew Vaughn surprise. Or it could mean, oh, what am I supposed to care about now? You've taken out of the movie the most colorful and interesting character. Yeah, the the one thing that's kind of holding my interest is now gone. There were other people at the table. That's all I would say, is I know that there were other people at the table, I just couldn't name them. Rasputin was my reason for being as engaged as I was, and so it does become very difficult for me once that they have killed him here, and it does take several times, they drown him, and- Poison cake. Yeah, the poison- finally that maid comes in and has to shoot him in the head. Mary Sue, I mean Polly. Yeah, don't like her, but whatever. Yeah, so this is like, so Shepard's solution is like, okay, we'll just get Lenin. If Rasputin can't keep Russia out of the war, we'll have the Tsar abdicate to this communist. And now Russia's got its, you know, again, it will just, it's all about keeping them out from being involved. Yeah, I don't know why that did make me smile when Lenin showed up. Yeah, I I kind of love it. This is what I like about the movie. I I wish there was more moments like that that just got me to smile and care about this film. Yeah, it's weird to be making jokes that are over 100 years old. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, it's kind of working for me sometimes. But what's not working for me, Conrad. And this is where Conrad has his birthday and says, I'm going to war, Dad, and I'm going to switch places with the actor that played Kick-Ass so that you can't keep me from the battlefront. Oh, that was Aaron Taylor Johnson? I saw his name in the credits, and I didn't remember seeing him in the film, though. Yeah, yeah. Th- he's set up to be Lancelot at the end of this movie, and he's the Scotsman that comes back to the castle to tell Orlando, yeah, your son is pretending to be me. Yeah, so I guess this really, really long, drawn-out thing that needs to be cut way down. I guess it matters, one, because there's a spy that's saved, but two, like, I guess this would matter if I cared about Conrad, what's going to happen to him, but because I don't care about him, like, this feels like a 10 minutes that you could just cut out. Agreed. This is a whole bit 
where the whole point has been, I promised my dying wife I would protect our son, and now all of this is going to happen just to kill Conrad stupidly. It's a shocker, though. I mean, there were only four people in my audience, but we all gasped, because you would never think that this was going to be his fate. It is shocking, and again, I don't care about this character, but... If this was a movie, if this was all quiet on the Western Front, like an anti-war war film that like really had something to it, it, this would have been a powerful moment, like this kind of friendly fire because of these mixed up identities. Like this could have meant something, but this isn't a historical World War One film. This is supposed to be a goofy spy film. So it, it's just not landing right. I think Arnie was right to say that Matthew Vaughn can do both at the same time. And when he's at his best, the band knows how to juggle. And he can have a teary scene. He can have a moment of surprising, disquieting power and then move on to farce really fast when he's at his best. I think the whole problem is I never really liked Conrad. So even though it's sad that he gets killed doing this sacrificial thing, I'm not moved. And two, Ray Fiennes, who I do like in a lot of movies... I'm not really even connecting with that much. I don't I don't really feel the pain of him losing his wife and making that promise and trying to keep his son alive. It just doesn't doesn't work for me. And during this whole scene, this is like the Canto Bright scene in Last Jedi, like needless casino stuff going on. This is where we get that cool stuff that I saw in that trailer, like with the, you know, messing with how the motion goes with these guys doing trench warfare. And then I'm seeing it here that I'm like, what what, what is this movie? What where am I supposed to ground myself? It's so confusing. I, I could just never get my bearings right. Is, is this a cool action war film? Like, is it supposed to be funny? Is it a serious World War One movie? You're right, Stuart. Like, Matthew Vaughn has been able to juggle these kind of things before, but all those balls are on the ground at this point. I feel like this should be cool. Like when they, particularly when we see like all the Germans wearing the gas mask. Yeah, it should be. One has the glove that has like the spike on it and all. I'm like, oh, this is going to be cool. But I can't say that I get into this fight, even though it feels very Matthew Vaughn. I thought we would have some right villains here. Some henchmen show up or something with the one with the glove on. And I didn't realize they were all wearing masks. I thought we had one with the mask on. And it was just over way too quickly and yes it was set up in that early paintbrush knife fight scene how he would win this but yes that he fights so hard and we spend so much time seeing him avoid the enemy fire and get back across that no man's land the between the two fighting factions to get back just to be shot by friendly fire in my mind it undercuts the character what it tells me is this is not about Conrad. <laughs> I mean, literally, because now he's dead. Can't be about him anymore. But this whole time, it was always about Orlando. It was about his dad and shaping his character. I agree. It is about that surprise because we did assume that just like Eggsy like, grew up to like replace the father figure, Colin Firth, we would assume that this milk toast thing would, would do the same thing to Ray Fiennes. Shock that's been taken from us. But I also want to point out, this is the real conflict of the movie. Why is he killed? Because he's not Scottish. Like, the, specifically, the shepherd is Scottish, mad at England. It's a Scotsman that's like, you're impersonating Archie. I know Archie. You're a goddamn liar. Bang. So there it is in microcosm, the real conflict of this film. But the good thing he does is he rescues this spy who has, what, a message that Germany is going to ask Mexico to attack the U.S., so this will pull the U.S. into war, which the British want because they need the help. Yes, this is the famed Zimmerman Telegraph. 
Thank you, Wikipedia. I didn't know anything about this. Learning <laughs> all of this right now. Mexico was going to be involved in World War One. Why do you think Americans hate Mexico so much? It, build that wall. Again, there's a there's an amazing like that's a delicious thought that Germany thought. How do we prey upon the grievances of Mexico? That yeah, the they remember the Alamo. They're mad about losing Texas. Of course, they would want it back. And yes, this would be a way of keeping America distracted and unable to get involved. I like all of this. I think that this is a neat plot. If only we could explore it. I thought I saw in the liquor cabinet, and I think that President Wilson does order a statesman on the rocks. Yes, statesman whiskey, from which would be the U.S. version of the Kingsman in that second movie. Right, yeah, when they go and Channing Tatum and that whole group of cowboy southern gentlemen, that's their liquor. Is this a prequel to that? Are we to think that out of the liquor came, were they thinking in the second movie they could show the origin of the statesman? I'm not sure. I'm sure that's what they would do. Yeah, it's not quite here, but there's at least a nod if you're up on the movies. Having just rewatched the movies, these are passing as homages and jokes. I'm kind of enjoying the dynamics. I'm not enjoying the execution is, I guess, what I'm seeing myself experience. I feel like you just got to watch a history channel special about World War One, and it's going to scratch the same itch for you as this. <laughs> I feel like the history is interesting, and I'm appreciating someone that is coming at it with the idea that there's this alternative history of villains. Like, we're working together. That Matahari would actually be hanging out at the same barn as Rasputin is kind of a funny idea, even if it's not exactly a madcap comedy. What I thought they might do was change the outcome of World War One, and then really blow my mind in thinking that Kingsman Part 1 and 2 were taking place in an alternate reality and alternate history. I mean, alternate history is a big thing these days, as far as fiction goes. Is I like it. Change something in history, and now you've created an alternate current timeline. I really thought they might go that way, but they shy away from anything that radical. I, yeah, I, it never occurred to me that they would change the outcome of World War One. That would be quite something. I think they're kind of trapped by it because things have to kind of end up the way that we know it in order to experience the histories of, I mean, Germany can't win the war, right? I mean, it's it's got to go a certain way. But yeah, the idea that Matahari is, is working for the shepherd and records a sex tape before there was a, a film spool. Again, film itself is relatively new here. Yeah, my wife was so upset. She's like, "How? where are they getting these camera shots from? These did not exist. She was really bad. <laughs> right. And just the idea that Woodrow Wilson himself would be like <laughs> doing anything kinky is like... Mm. In the Oval Office in front of the window with the curtains mm-hmm. open. But I did think because this is Kingsman, like this, because it's World War One, it should have felt more steampunk. Like the, yeah. the Kingsman, but again, this is an origin story. They don't really exist. Like I, I thought they did, but I thought there would be more like steampunk inventions going on. Yeah, let's grab onto that thought because you can be in the past and be limited by the history and how we know it. And yet there are still people that will work in, if you think of Wild Wild West or something, like giant machines, anachronistic flights to the moon in hot air balloons. And you could have had extravagance and still honored the history of what we know to have happened. But they really seem to be hesitant to change too much about historical fact, as far as I can tell. They're big 
steampunk idea is later on when they introduce the parachute. That seemed to be like their big science fiction introduction. It's really hard, at least for me, to have a good spy movie if you can't have a cue and like you can't have cool gadgets. Like to me, that is part of what a, a blockbuster popcorn spy thriller adventure is. Yeah. So do you create some steam powered special device that feels so futuristic or do you say, yeah, the parachute is it. That's it. That's all we're going to do. I think that by making the the less extravagant choice. They're saying we're not going for the big comedy. And I don't think anyone wants this to be Wild Wild West. I don't think that steampunk League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is the direction. Yeah, I don't want a big robot spider, but some kind of gadgetry. I mean, they had future tech in the other Kingsman films. I would counter with if you're going to try to go the more realistic way, you have to do better than her scarf only came from this one (laughs) patch of goats. (laughs) That was ridiculous. That that hurt me. It was so stupid. Yeah, and because they're able to trace the cashmere, they know that's where this canister of film is. Like that that's what this whole climax is. We just gotta get the sex tape that they're using to blackmail the president with, so he'll join the war. The the war that the pacifist doesn't want, you know, there's a pacifist in charge of all this, but he wants the US to go to war. Again, he's not really a pacifist. That's, again, there's who I present myself to be and then who I really am. So everyone thinks I'm the coward pacifist, but I'm really the fighter. That's that's the way I see the character. But these things sound funny. Like we're fighting over a sex tape of Woodrow Wilson sounds hilarious to me. It's so weird to watch the muted presentation and the lack of attempts at making broad Mel Brooks kind of comedy. It feels like a Mel Brooks movie with all the jokes edited out. Wow, that sounds awful. <laughs> like the more I think about that. <laughs> and yet I'm just picturing that's exactly what an edited for television version of Blazing Saddles would be these True. days. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> the worst Western you've ever seen. You wouldn't know it's a comedy. <laughs> Another thing with the... Fine, this isn't the jokey Kingsman. It's still a spy thriller. Big, Gotta have that big end action set piece. And this, as far as I can tell, is about getting an elevator? Yeah, I mean, again, I like the rock face. I like. I don't know where this is. It looks like Rock of Gibraltar kind of whatever. But yeah, it's kind of cool that they have to... It's a, you know, it's a villain layer. You gotta have that hard to get to hideout. He's a shepherd. It's a goat farm, but like way, way high up and they need the airplane and they've already made the joke that Shula the driver won't get into a plane. And so he's at the bottom trying to get up. And uh, meanwhile, Orlando has crashed the plane and is trying to climb up a rock face that's crumbling with goats. Yeah. And Polly's playing sniper. In other Kingsman movies, him getting kind of caught up on that plane while trying to parachute would be more exciting and have more visual panache than it does here. If you think about movies from that era, there were some, like they were all slapstick. You know, like you think about Charlie Chaplin, you think about Buster Keaton, you think about Harold Lloyd, they would always be doing these kinds of stunts. And it would like, wouldn't it be wonderful if we were watching Ray Fiennes do an amazing aerial <laughs> acrobatic thing to try and get to this layer? I, I would even say someone that just looks like Ray Fiennes that's trained to do this. I don't want him to die for this film. But yeah, if I was convinced that this was really going on, like they, they really got some acrobat that was trained to do all this, like this would be great. This would be, you know, it, it's it's like watching planes take off in Top Gun. Like it's just fun to watch that footage. 
Yeah, it's just half committed is I guess what it is, is that they don't really try for the jokes. They're saying we're not doing that in this movie, which leaves everyone asking, but then what are you doing? <laughs> if not that, then what? Because it looks like it should be comedy when, yeah, like emissaries are falling down the elevator and Shula is flying up to behead people. I mean, there's a bunch of jokes about goats as he's climbing up that mountain. Like, you're telling me, like, all of a sudden this is a comedy? Do goats really climb like that? Because I'm tempted to believe they do. I don't know if they could do, like, that extreme. But, yeah, they could climb up stuff, like, straight up. There is some fun footage of goats. Like, they do really get on the edges, and they they don't seem to have the fear of of heights that I would if I were them. (laughs) Does that make them nimble, or does that make them stupid? Nimble. They don't fall. Yeah, both. But uh, it is goats that bring down the shepherd, you know, specifically Angus, his prized goat that he had maimed and hurt that said he loved because it always obeyed him. It will be him after it's revealed to be Morton. It will be this goat and not really Ray Fiennes that knocks him off the edge here. And it was revealed to be Morton to great fanfare. I mean, okay, he... He wasn't in a position of enough power to really feel dangerous. You know, I go back, you mentioned Wonder Woman and another World War I movie, but at the end of that, when Ares was revealed to be that military guy, he was somebody who had control over the war and could really affect things. This guy has been a seeming lackey for every scene we've seen him in. But again, that's the whole point is I'm a Scotsman, I'm under the thumb of the English, and I have to pretend like I'm one of them when I, I want my independence. I do think a, a higher star wattage would help. Like, no offense to Matthew Good, I've seen him in movies, and he is good, but like, he, you want this to be a broad stroke. You want it to be like, oh, Liam Neeson, oh, this is, you know, somebody. I thought this was going to be a huge reveal, and yeah, I'm like, who? Huh? Mm-hmm. Don't know what's going on. Yeah. It just, oh, that character. All I knew is it was somebody with a very modern haircut for World War One. <laughs> and this shepherd goes down way too easily, like you say. It's his goat that's primarily done it. It's a little bit of a gunfight. But this ending is over just far too quickly. We do have the one steampunk element is he does have the sword that has the pistols in it. Yeah, I wish we had a whole lot more of that. We saw it used earlier, and I was like, okay, it's Chekhov's shotgun sword. And here at the end, he's trying to get Orlando to have an honorable sword fight, and... Yeah, we find out it's this... Again, you can tell me what his name is. Whatever, this Scottish guy. He's the one that comes up with manners maketh man, right? Like, he says it. Mm. It's his idea, I guess. You're right. That does come out of this. Yes, they are trying to set up here a little bit of just not enough. Like I I thought that I'm giving you one movie to do this, right? I'll give you one movie to tell me how this all started. And they're like, nah, we might do a few more. Uh Uh-uh. That makes me mad. Do one. That's it. That's all you get. (laughs) I guess the whole point is it just teaches Orlando that this is how he should organize his kingsman. When he gets back home to the clothing shop, he's going to remember his son's love for the round table, think about this villain's round table, and says, okay, we're going to kind of do, we kind of look a little bit like what the kingsmen do in the first movie, but we're going to have to do more prequels to really show you the origin, because they really didn't totally set up what they said they were going to. 
and again, poor Stanley Tucci. Like, he's here. Kick-Ass is here. The maid thinks she's going to do something next time. We ain't never <laughs> seen you guys again. Nor will we see this Hitler in the mid credit stinger. How do you do Hitler and not give him his mustache? If there's one thing everyone knows about Hitler, it's his mustache. I guess that's, again, we're thinking we're going to make a World War II movie, and Stanley Tucci will be in it, and we'll see this guy trying to grow a mustache, and then it'll be... Will it be really funny to see him, like... Yeah, will there be some hilarious joke about how, why he chooses that style of mustache? Or will they not have jokes at all? I, again, I'm I'm unclear about uh, the history lesson. Is it a farce, or is it sincere? Well, let's be sincere when I ask. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend The King's Man? Jacob. I am not so much of a fan of the previous two films that this couldn't go and be its own thing. Yeah, I brought in baggage from those because I'm like, oh, this is kind of what that whole organization looks like. So it should kind of fit this mold. James Bond, like I'm coming in with those references, but if this wanted to be some straight historical fiction spy thriller drama, more or less, like not do the jokes and it was really good at that. I'm open to that. Like, I, I, wide open template what you want to do with these films because I don't really care about this franchise. If you could do a good film, great. Entertain me, fantastic. That's what I'm looking for here. And I, I don't know what I get here. I don't know what this film is. Sometimes funny, most of the time not. Like, and when it goes funny, it tends to get pretty broad at times with Rasputin dancing and then he goes away. And then I think I'm supposed to have this real heart strings being tugged with Conrad being shot in the head. I don't know. I don't care about any of these characters. And that, that's the thing. You wide open, do whatever story you want. I'm open to it for this franchise. You don't catch me with these characters. I don't care about this team that's put together with Polly and Shola. Like they got no characterization here. And that's, that's my big problem is this film doesn't know what it is. It's not my job to figure it out. Yeah, you, you could have some fun, like trying to understand World War One a little bit more. Something probably all of us Americans need. I'm not going to recommend you learn it from this, though, because this I, I found this film tedious because I didn't know where to ground myself, what tone I was going for, who these characters are like. I don't care about anyone. They didn't make me care. They don't have character. So don't get your history lesson from this. But that that's noble that they try to give us a history lesson, but not worth visiting. Uh, not recommend. I just love the thought that all of our UK listeners are sitting there like, history lesson. We all know this shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I said Americans. I called out us dumb Americans. Well, again, much like Wilson, we didn't get involved until later. And only the parts that matter are the ones we did. And yeah, it was in our war for a long time. Stuart. You know, and I, initially, uh, less so now that I've talked through it with you guys, but initially I was like, I don't know which way to go. I'm conflicted because I do like The Kingsman. I did want to like this movie. I was trying to meet it at where it was at. And even though it's kind of weird to go back and see historical farce, I was trying to appreciate the movie that way. You know, there was a, one of my favorite movies of the last several years, actually, was Death of Stalin. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Great film. Great yeah. film. Yeah. Like, who would th think that that would be hilarious? Like, Stalin's dead. One of the best dark comedies I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. It's an inflection point in Russia that they really, it's from the creators of Deep. And they, they do it right. And so my hope was maybe it can do it that way. Or maybe they can make a straight one. And Matthew Vaughn can surprise everyone by showing... Every, you know, every comedian wants to prove that they are a dramatist. Like, maybe this can be the film that, like, shows, oh, you've got 
the skills to do. You don't need that irreverent humor and scatological jokes. You can just be a serious filmmaker. But the truth of the matter is, this is neither funny nor serious. And that is painfully clear as we talk through this movie. I really do like many of the setups. I really do see a lot of potential here. But even if I could give this movie its messiness, who am I rooting for? Like, the villains were okay, but those heroes. Like, if if I'm to like the Kingsman at the end of this, it ain't happening. None of the main characters, even Ray Fiennes, who I normally do like, really carried this film. If we're not laughing, we needed a hero, and Orlando was just too much of a gentleman. I just didn't find him aggressive enough or fun enough or just someone to root for. And Polly, Shola, I've already talked about all that. It didn't work. Son, Conrad, not mourning that he died. Star power. That star power still counts, particularly when you don't have it. And so, yeah, I'm going to say weak knock recommend because I couldn't find a man in this to root for. But maybe if I saw it again. I kept thinking I really did want to see this movie twice. If they do make The Kingsman 3, I will probably go back to this. Probably will not go back to it unless they do. But if they do, I maybe I could be convinced. But right now, the feeling is not worth your time. When a new Kingsman movie was announced, my excitement was off the charts. I was, at certain points in time, as hyped for the next Kingsman film as I was for Avengers Endgame. I was that much anticipating Matthew Vaughn returning to this franchise, even knowing it wasn't going to have Eggsy, even knowing it was going to be a period piece. In Vaughn, I trust. When I finally got around to seeing it on its 10th release date... I went in with more <laughs> muted expectations. Mm-hmm. I knew Disney was trying to squash this like a bug. They were not confident in it to release it at a time when it might have found an audience. And the trailers that kept coming just didn't inspire a lot of confidence in me. But I went in with hope. And by an hour into this film, that hope was gone. And it's hard for me to judge this film as a film compared to this film, as my disappointment in that this is a Matthew Vaughn film. In that all the things that I have loved about Matthew Vaughn's filmmaking in X-Men First Class and Kick-Ass and those first two Kingsman's films, the mixture of humor and pathos, the over-the-top camera styles and facial expressions, people going a bit over the top, and yet making it work in a serious context. But specifically, the humor is gone. And this may be him trying to stretch. Anyone can make a bad movie. Yeah, well, he made Stardust and Eddie the Eagle, so... I've never seen Eddie the Eagle. Stardust had humor. I didn't like Stardust, but it had humor. I'm just saying he could make bad movies. Yeah, yeah. no one's infallible, and let's not idolize anyone. And, And again, like... It is a Matthew Vaughn movie. At least it feels like it came from him. Mm, A couple scenes do. There are certain shots where I see him poking out, but this isn't what I expect from a Matthew Vaughn film. And going in expecting that Matthew Vaughn film, expecting something lighthearted, expecting fun. That was not what this is. And most of the Matthew Vaughn films I've seen strive for fun. Yeah. And I think this one does too. It just doesn't get there very often. 
And I, it doesn't strive there that hard, though. It, That's true. Yeah, it doesn't break a sweat, and it doesn't go anywhere near uh, the joys of the previous hits. So then I have to dissociate myself and say, okay, this wasn't the film I was looking forward to. This isn't trying to be the film that I wanted to come out of a Kingsman series. And I, too, wish I could see this again, but weekend of release recordings and Christmas, Christmas. and New Year's, yeah. it became very difficult, and I was only able to really just ruminate on this. The truth of it is, I didn't want to go back, though, because this movie did lag terribly. Jacob, I think the word you used was tedious? This film was very tedious. I couldn't believe how slow portions of it went. I can't believe how huge segments of it seemed to lead to nothing that, again, maybe if I felt more about the British, Scottish, South African conflicts, British colonialism and World War I in general, certain things like the death of Conrad might hit me harder and be like, oh, symbolism. But as it is, it felt like a joke that lacked a laugh. It felt like, oh my god, he worked so hard to survive all this, only to be shot because he's not Scottish. This whole film, scene by scene, let me down. The best part of it was Rasputin, and they killed him an hour in. This whole spy organization turned out to be super lame. So I didn't want to go back. As much as I wanted to go back to try to judge this film apart from expectation, I didn't want to go back to see this film again. I didn't enjoy it. You made the right choice. Yeah, I, I will do it if there's another Kingsman movie made. They are saying they're going to film the proper Kingsman 3 in 2022. Let's see mm. if Disney continues to write those checks. But mm. this movie is a solid not recommend from me. And I'm really, really disappointed in that fact. It's hard not to be disappointed. I, I would think. I think about the guys that were behind me in Dune. And they were like, oh, cool, another one. I'm like, nope. It is not another one. Whatever you think of it, and even if you like it, it is not another Kingsman. It was an experiment, and one that it sounds like we're hoping they don't recreate if they make any more of this. I'm still hopeful for Kingsman 3. Maybe they thought it was another 1917, like a, a sequel to that World War One movie. <laughs> I don't know what they thought they were doing. I can... I cannot get in the head. Matthew Vaughn doesn't do a ton of interviews. He sends his actors out for that. He's kind of a reclusive guy. I wish I could get into his head and know what he was really trying to do here. Maybe with time and more interviews, that'll come out. But for now, I'm just left bewildered by why he would make this film. And yes, I don't want the World War II sequel. I really don't. Although mm -mm. it could be more fun. We'll actually have Kingsman in that movie. And you could, I mean, you could work it into the third movie. You could like cut back and forth in time, Godfather 2 or whatever. Like there's ways of, of telling a story in the past while you're still dealing with present day crisis. But that's the fun of Kingsman is that it, you know, even in Golden Circle, which had a lot of mess in it. Like, he was trying to ta tackle the topical issue of legalizing drugs. Like, talking about environmental crisis. Like, I want I want to talk about now. With it. I, To talk about then, it is going to just be different. But this is talking about now, Stuart. It's talking about how 
white people were bad because of colonial, which they were. I, I'm not disparaging that, but I do feel like it, it taps into uh, a lot of the racial tension that's been going on lately. Not enough. Again, no, I was, agree. That's where I that, look at Shola and be like, that was your job to like bring that out. And you were more than happy to play the assistant and not ever make it uncomfortable. I am disappointed too, Arnie. But, you know, again, I still think that maybe there's things in here to like. I think I like it better than any of us. And I'm going to try again one day. But let's not, let's move away. Let's go back to something we all love. Stephen King. Oh, King's man, Stephen King. It's it's all good. <laughs> Bright road ahead. Yeah. This time a vampire is going to fly around and attack people at airports. Great. Sounds like as entertaining as King's man. Mm-hmm. I've not seen it. It's got Miguel Ferrer. I usually like him and stuff. Okay, that that's a that's a spot of hope. I've heard that this one is uh, an underrated one, and like, uh, it's one of the more beloved stories in Nightmares and Dreamscapes. This is the last adaptation from that story collection. Then we can move on to you know I think ones that people know, <laughs> maybe like Green Mile, like. People Oscar nominated things that people will be excited about. Yeah, I know that one. I've seen that one. <laughs> yeah, that would be the one after this Night Flyer, but we got to do that first and then we'll be getting to scream again. And meanwhile, this Friday, we are finishing up the last legs of our fall winter 2021 22 donation drive as we return to paranormal activity. The Marked Ones. Yeah, this is also, not unlike Kingsman, maybe a side quill. Like, uh, they're trying to do something else. They're going to leave Katie Featherston and some of the conflicts they've been mining for the last four films and try to exploit, I don't know what where they're going to go. They're going to Oxnard. That's kind of weird. <laughs> out of San Diego. So you can find out all the details on how to get in on this donation drive at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Just a few more weeks available in this donation drive until all those shows go up in price on Podbean and that's the only way to get them. So hopefully you can help us out by donating to that drive and hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast. Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. I've had a rather emotional day, so whatever your beef with Eggsy is, and I'm sure it's well-founded, I'd appreciate it enormously if you could just leave us in peace until I finish this lovely pint of Guinness. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. That'll make you more slappy mama right there. No, I don't think that'll be necessary. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. Is that a proposal? Want more reviews like this one? In the archive section of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews from our panel of hosts, including every movie based on Marvel Comics and more. Give me a far-fetched theatrical plot any day. On our site, you can hear reviews for every installment in the world's biggest film franchises, including Star Wars, Batman, James Bond, 
Middle Earth, Jurassic Park, Fast and Furious, and Transformers. I always felt the old Bond films were only as good as the villain. You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash now playing to see what our hosts are watching when we're not recording podcasts. And follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. Time to dance. Need more Now Playing? Subscribe to our In Focus weekly newsletter for exclusive digital download giveaways, behind-the-scenes insights, and more. Sign up through the subscribe page on our website and get it delivered to your inbox every Friday. Well, I, actually, we had an invitation, didn't we? Yeah, how did you know? Yeah, yeah, it came in the shape of a bottle. Now Playing is an independent podcast with no sponsors or ads. It's donations from listeners like you that keep Now Playing on the air. We ain't got much choice, you get me? And if we was born with the same silver spoon up our asses, we'd do just as well as you, if not better. You can join our crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews, available for a one-time contribution. Whatever's in that safe is the answer to all our problems. Backers of $10 or more will receive exclusive bonus podcast reviews. You've got a bit of a save the world situation here. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. It's amazing. You will shit. Now Playing is produced and edited by Artie Carvalho. Why is it that boys are always so messy? Associate produced by Jason Latham. I know you want to fight, but there are other ways of doing your duty. Now playing credit narration by Brock. So you're going to teach me how to talk proper like a My Fair Lady? The Kingsman films, all audio clips and music used are the property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created or produced the well-known Kingsman films or comic books. Fuck this gentleman's shite! I'm gonna love killing you. Now Playing is an independent movie review podcast with no affiliation with any company involved in the publishing, creating, or distribution of that film and comic series. You know what that means. Then let me teach you a lesson. The opinions expressed at Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. Words to live by. Words to live by. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media Production, copyright 2022, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. It's the part where you say something really bad, huh? It's like you said to Harry. This ain't that kind of movie, bruv. Is that it? Reese, Reese, Eva, Reese, I fans. You better get that right. Everyone uh, was all over you for it for Spider Man. What is it? Reese, Reese, Reese is in Reese Witherspoon. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, not Rice. And okay. then I f- is it E fans or I fans? I fans. Reese, okay. I fans. I'm not a fan, so I don't have to say it. <laughs> I wrote it down phonetically. It's uh. Yeah, they didn't like that I said rice only fans. <laughs> That's what they said. I said is only fans. That's not what I said. Um, I fans, if fans, Reese, if fans. 
I always thought it was Afonso, but again, I got I thought it was Reese too, so or Rice, so I don't know. I'm not an expert. The only new release to not do as well was a journal for Jordan. Mm. What's that? Yeah, Michael B. Jordan, Denzel Washington, yeah. That did look bad. Spoiler alert, if you can't tell from the trailer, the reason I didn't watch a journal for Jordan, I know just from the trailer, he dies at the end, okay? Yeah, otherwise, yeah, there's no movie it's a, there. it's a trailer that tells you what the movie is, and the movie didn't look very good. <laughs> yes. But, yes. 